Hello world, you're listening to episode 4 of Bitcoin and Markets, a show where I discuss Bitcoin, geopolitics, and liberty. Today is Dow Day. There's a lot of confusion what the Dow is, how it works. I'm going to try to help out, give you some definitions, and break break down all the pieces. Also give some social and economic critique. My name is Ansel Lindner. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back to the show, everybody. You can find all the links for this podcast on my website, BitcoinMarkets.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. Let's start talking about the DAO by trying to define what it is. Um, their website has, a, well, the, the project itself has a couple of definitions uh, in the white paper and on the website itself in their manifesto. That's the definition I'm going to be reading here. So this is what it is, quote, the DAO consists of the sum of those holding the DAO's representative tokens. That's very vague. It's really confusing. It doesn't let investors know what the DAO is all about. Uh, I've had a couple of my Bitcoin friends ask me about, you know, what is the DAO? Uh, why are so many people uh, putting money into it, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of confusion. And this, this is my working definition right now. The DAO is a smart contract, or just a program, in other words, and that lives on the Ethereum blockchain. It speaks Ethereum, so you can send, it sends uh, Ether to smart contracts, and smart contracts can uh, give input to the DAO. It's semi, it has semi-autonomous control over that Ether, so it, it can send its Ether to anywhere it wants to, uh, but only to addresses that are on a whitelist. Its main point in, exist, in, in existing is to fund other projects. So it's, it's a crowdsourced VC fund. And the token holders are supposed to be able to reap the benefits from investing in these other projects. Or get profit. So that's my working definition. It's it's not very concise, obviously, but um, you know it's it's much more uh, informative than the definition they give. Now I want to break down a few parts of it, give you guys some definitions, maybe some vocabulary that you can um, go forward and read articles about the DAO and understand a little bit more what's going on. All right. So first term is tokens and token holders so basically if you want to create these tokens or get these tokens especially from the crowd sale you sent in your ether to the, the smart contracts address and it will send you tokens back and those tokens represent your voting rights and also your ownership slash equity in any profits that come from this and also losses too i might add I kind of think of it almost like a proof of stake or uh, you're staking your ether into this project because you can get your ether back out. So it's not like your ether disappears. You can request that you get your ether back so you can send in your DAO tokens and get ether back. The next term is curator. Now curator is a person or a group of people that perform 
the centralized roles within the DAO. And that's why I say that it's semi-autonomous, because these curators have a lot of power. They whitelist addresses to send uh, Ether to. They also vet the proposals when they're, when they're proposed. Uh, and, I mean, they do a number of roles within the, the DAO itself. So if you have a, a curator that is on strike, you're pretty much screwed. The only thing you can do is try to replace that curator or split. All right, the next term is contractors. These are third parties that, like I said, are vetted by the curators and the DAO can interact with. Okay, proposal. And that's easy. That's uh, things that are voted on. There's two types. There's a regular proposal that does basically everything that the DAO can do other than the second type of proposal, which is a new curator. Those are the two types. All right, next term is quorum. That's the amount of votes that you need to have a vote be binding. Pretty common sense. There, For the DAO, it's a 20%. And that doesn't mean 20% uh, yeses. It just means 20% of the tokens have voted. So you could have 11% yes and 9% no, and the proposal passes. That's for the regular proposal. For the new curator proposal, though, you there is no quorum because it's meant to be a way to split so that's the last term is split and that's if somebody doesn't like a proposal that looks like it's going to pass they can split they can take their DAO and their ether that's backing it and go play in their own little sandbox uh, that's meant as a way to protect the minority from the majority so the majority could vote to steal coins from the minority and this is a way that they can't do that because the minority can just split off into their own DAO. All right, so that's that. I mean, there's there's lots of problems, obviously, with this. Um, but before I get into some of the main problems, I want to say that I agree with some of the goals of the DAO. I, I think it would be awesome if it's possible. It's such a large product, project. It combines a lot of the individual complex things that people are trying to figure out, like governance and voting, identity, um, reputation, digital ownership of goods, etc., etc., and that combines them all into one project. So it's a very large scope. Um, I think DAOs will eventually succeed, but I don't think it's going to be this DAO. Um, what those will look like and when they will happen, I don't know, but probably will have DAOs in the future. Uh, I don't know if these people are scammers because I haven't done really uh, any background checks on the people yet or my own background checks on the people yet, but I have to say they have the best intentions at this point because I can't say that they're scammers. All right, so that's the good stuff I have to say. Now let's get into some of the skepticism. Okay, I am very skeptical and I wear that on my sleeve. Uh, I 
think that's the appropriate re reaction to have, though. Uh, it's a learned reaction from being in Bitcoin for four years. You see, I've seen lots of scams, lots of pump and dumps. And I'm also, I mean, I'm middle-aged. I have decades of life experience where I, I'm skeptical of new people and new projects and new opportunities, especially ones that are sold like this. Why is there not more skepticism out there? I, the, pe the only people that are skeptical are these old-time Bitcoiners that I've seen. And they, they're speaking from the same place I am. They have more experience with this. They uh, have seen lots of pump and dumps in Bitcoin. Lots of people get hurt from these things. And it hurt the Bitcoin community in general. So, you know, that's why we're skeptical. And it's not good when you have some healthy skepticism where you pose questions and want to discuss these answers and find out the right thing. And people attack you as Bitcoin maximalists in a negative way. Or they say you're jealous of Ethereum and the DAO because Bitcoin's going nowhere and it doesn't scale and all that. Well, that's not helpful. They obviously don't know what they're talking about, but it, it, it's not helpful to anybody. Uh, the, I think there's a concentration of newcomers in, in Ethereum. I think there was a concentration of newcomers in XT and Classic, uh, RBTC, and now I think they have moved to Ethereum and the DAO. That's these new newcomers. They are speculators. They aren't gr like the the very early adopters we were grounded in you know ideology or technical curiosity and know-how um, these the recent people are speculators so that's why there's no criticism from them because they don't their validation is the price going up or and if the price goes down then they get upset or doesn't move up then they get upset that's why that's not there's not a lot of skepticism because of the type of people that are in this community. For example, when I went onto the forum pages uh, on forum, I think it's forum.dowhub.org. That's their official forum site. They, I went through the first page or so of threads, and there was one kind of critical or technical question, and that was about a curator. The so this guy asked this question. And there was uh, somebody from the team, I think the Slocket team, answered it like, oh, no, that's not a problem. We have it fit. We have it figured out. And that was it. The guy said, thank you. And the post was or the thread was three posts long. That was the only one that I found on the first page. So there, there's a lack of critical thinking. There's a lack of skepticism and that's not healthy it the whole forum was full of daydreamers and speculators that's it it was very unhealthy it was very weird to to be in that community it kind of felt like rbtc to be honest with you here's another example so the i subscribe to the reinvent money channel on youtube it's by paul butnik uh, he does a good show. He's based out of the Netherlands. Um, I think he helped put on one of the big conferences this last year, uh, the one that was in Amsterdam. So 
good channel. They do some in-depth interviews and things. And to this time, uh, he and Jan Burgers were interviewing Griff Green. He is the community community manager from Slocket. And the history from Slocket is they are about this sharing community or this sharing economy. And they wrote the DAO, basically. Uh, they're going to try to raise money from the DAO is their little scheme that they have going on. Uh, I I liked the I liked Griff Green. I thought he was a nice guy. He was approachable. He smiled a lot. He had uh, he was a good speaker. Uh, so I think he's really he's a good guy. But he had too many answers. He admitted that he wasn't technical, but everything he was asked and was explaining that it was as if no, that's a done deal. We've figured it out. One of the one of the I'll paraphrase one of the things he said here is that they spent months carefully designing the incentives for the DAO to take into account all of the different possibilities and to get the behavior that they wanted. That is that's what he said. I mean, months. And we're talking about all those things. Like I said, the uh, identity, reputation, uh, voting and governance, uh, digital ownership, all of that stuff, crowdfunding, and they were able to figure it out in just a, a couple of months. It doesn't sit right with me. I don't, I can't believe it, to be honest with you. Uh, he was asked hard questions, and when he didn't say, oh, no, that's figured out, and this is why, X, Y, Z, not technical answers, just plain language answers, um, if he couldn't say that, then he's like, oh, the market will take care of it. The market will take care of it. I didn't... I don't know if this guy understands that the market is not your friend. It's not there to help you succeed and to clean up your bugs. That's not what the market's there for. The market will crush you. And I think a lot of these people are going to lose a lot of money. Now... I do have to give him some credit because he did say that it was experiment and he said it several times. So that's good. But they're not selling it as an experiment. They have all the answers. They say they have all the answers. That they carefully designed this. Trust us, in other words. And then they say, but it's just an experiment. It almost sounds like a get-out clause, right? Now, we said all along it was an experiment and you lost, we lost uh, 20% of the ether. Uh, but it, we told you it was just an experiment. So I see that as a get-out clause. Um, so all of that is a big red flag. I mean, he seemed like a nice guy, but his message was not right. The community manager for Slock at Griff Green, his message was not right. And that is a big red flag for me. So, I mean, people don't... <laughs> people don't understand the incentives of how Bitcoin works. They don't, there's disagreement of how the incentives actually work in the Bitcoin economy, um, how it works with mining and so forth. And that's for a very simple application of money, or at least a relatively simple application of money, right? Toke, just the straight up token. And now you're talking Dow has figured all of this out with all these incentives of all these disparate incentive structures for all these different things 
I there's no way that that's possible. All right, so that's what I have for my skepticism piece, and let's move on to some more technical stuff. Alright, now this isn't going to be technical as in code. I think they have a bug here, a bug there. Um, what It's going to be more of talking about game theory and economics and how I think this will be attacked. Um, and going into this curator role, that's what I'm really interested in. Because they're selling this DAO as autonomous. It's in the freaking name. Decentralized Autonomous Organization. But it's not autonomous. It has human beings that must act in this system. If human beings do not act, the only thing that can happen is constant new curators trying to find a curator that will act. That's it. It must have a curator. If it doesn't have a curator, it seeks it out. That's all it can do is seek out a human being if, the cur if they don't have a human being that's acting. So, um, yeah, and on the website they say that specifically, I mean, explicitly they say that they, the curators don't add centralization to the DAO. How can that be? How can they say that? That's either naive or purposely deceptive. Like, oh, we'll just say this because we don't, think that and we don't want people to think that so we're going to say that it doesn't add centralization well obviously it does the curators have several roles the curators must um let me pull up the page here all right, I'm going to read right off of web page here so I don't misquote anything or get anything wrong. So on their curator page, they have uh, a curator is a fail-safe mechanism that indirectly prevents malicious actors from executing 51% attack. Curators do not add centralization to the DAO. They are nominated by the DAO token holders themselves and can be fired at any time for any reason. Curators curate the whitelist, the list of contractors authorized to receive Ether from the DAO. A curator therefore holds two primary functions. First, when a DAO token holder submits a proposal in the form of a smart contract, the curator checks that the published contract on the Ethereum blockchain matches the source code the contractor claims to have deployed. Second, a curator confirms that a proposal comes from an identified person or organization. This is done by asking the entity submitting the proposal to send a signed transaction with a certain set of data only known to the curator and the author of the proposal, thereby confirming the author of the proposal. Alright, so it has these two roles of... Um, curating this list and vetting this uh well basically it vets it vets proposals and the proposee right uh that's centralized 
So up here it says uh, curators do not add centralization to the DAO. Uh, they can be fired at any time for any reason. Okay, well, what if they don't act? Right? You ha what if a what if the curators do not act? Then the only thing the DAO can do is search out a new curator. That's it. It has to use a new curator proposal. So if it does not have a human, if this DAO, this autonomous organization, does not have a curator, all it can do is seek a new curator, a new human. It must have human interaction. It must have human involvement. And it's not like you're going to talk about uh, a million curators. I guess technically you could. Every DAO token holder could be a curator. But it's not going to be like that. It's going to be one person or right like it is now. There's a group of, I think, about 10 Ethereum Foundation folks. And that is centralized. How can you say it doesn't add centralization? All right. Now this whitelist, that's, that's another way that they can uh, impact it. Um, and you know, the way a lot of this stuff works is... Uh, people trust the quote-unquote experts, and I don't think they would allow a curator to remain that they didn't think was an expert. So this expert is going to whitelist these people. They're going to vet the contractors, basically. They're also going to vet the proposal, the proposees, and the proposals themselves. And you have to trust the expertise of the curator and the judgment of the curator. And what if that curator is Gavin Andreessen that had the whole, you know, Satoshi thing and bad judgment, XT and classic. And now there's going to be someone like him that's going to be a curator. He's seen by mo most of the community as an expert. Right? I, I just, this curator thing is way too muddy. What if you... Um, okay, well, let's get into the vote, the splitting, because I think there's some ways to beat the splitting thing, too. So with the splitting, you uh, have to create a proposal to split. And the way you split is you create a new curator proposal. Let's say there's a, uh, you, you have the DAO as it is now, and you want to change the curator, which it's a group of people now, but you want to change it, say, to one person, a different person. The way you do that is you would submit a new curator proposal and then everybody would have a chance to vote on it. You'd actually need to vote twice. You'd need to vote twice. So you need to have a vote to see it's a preliminary thing and then they ask you again on a second vote if you're sure. So if you wanted to have a, the whole DAO wants to have a new curator and they put it up for a vote and say 10% of people vote for this and 90% of people don't vote, um, you're going to get a new curator for 10, from 10%. Those 10% of people can pick a new curator because you have only 10% voter participation. There was a great blog post by Dan Larimer. He's the founder of BitShares, and they had the DAX. This is a while ago. 
like last year or two years ago now. Um, I supported that project too. I thought it was pretty cool at the time, but it was very complicated, just like this. And that I'd also um, liked their dedicated proof of stake, but I thought it was way too complicated. Um, that's before you know I came to the whole understanding of why we need proof of work. But he wrote a pretty scathing blog post that I have in the show notes here that you can check out. Uh, he said that their problem was voter apathy. They could never get to the quorum. So what they ended up having to do was they had to have proxy voting. So one, per, uh, one person would kind of be a representative for another group of people. It was a representative voting structure is what they went on to. And even then, they had a hard time getting to their 20%, or I think it had 25%, but uh, 20%. They had a hard time getting there, even with representative voting. I mean, you're talking very low voter participation, and he predicts that same thing with the Dow, which I tend to agree with. I mean, most of these people in Ethereum or in the Dow are speculators. They have no ability to really think about the proposals and, and understand what's going on in the first place. So they're going to default to the people they think are the experts. They're going to default to the curators and probably 10% of the token holders to continue to vote on things. They won't be able to get anything passed. I mean, so you expect that this the voter is at, so apathetic that they will not vote yes on one proposal, but you expect them to submit a new proposal and then vote twice to split. I don't think it's going to happen. There's not going to be any voter participation in this DAO. I don't even know if they'll get one thing funded. They might get Slocket funded, but that's it. Okay, so the last part of my criticism here today on this podcast is going to be about the regulation. There's a lot of people talking about uh, how the DAO will get regulated, if it can get regulated, if it's legal already or not, or illegal right now. I, I think it's, my personal belief is it's probably legal, but it will be interpreted as illegal once it seems to be a problem. Uh, the way they will go about it is they will regulate the curator. They'll regulate the centralization of it. They'll also regulate the proposals because these proposals must be uh, vetted by the curator. The proposee must be identified by the curator. That is a perfect avenue to regulate this. And so that's probably what's going to end up happening. Uh, but my opinion is that that shouldn't matter. Um, if it is regulated, that actually gives me more confidence in it. Because I think something that's regulated against, uh, has regulations against it, is probably not too bad. I mean, you look at the dark markets that sell drugs and stuff, that there's lots of regulation on drugs and moving of your money and actually trying to uh, 
do business and different aspects. That's all regulated, and that's a good. That means this probably they're probably doing a good job. The dark markets are doing a very good job. That's why they're going after them. So if the regulators were going after them, I might even support them more. This Dow. Um, but I think the, the more of the red flag for me in this regulation aspect of it is the simple fact that they're not being regulated. They're not coming after them. Vitalik is very public. Slocket is very public. And they are not, they're not coming after them. Why? It's not because of this Dow link. It's not because of the specific regulatory structure or the uh, where they're incorporated and what uh, kind of legal thing they have set up for the Dow. No, because if you are, we've we've proved this with Liberty Reserve. I covered that on the very first episode of of the podcast. If you are a um, foreign citizen with a business in a foreign a third foreign country there will still come after you they will still take you and lock you up so the fact that this these very public people are not being taken down right now is a red flag to me and i think they're actually there's a i don't know if it's sun tzu or there's some chinese proverb that you know use uh, strike with a borrowed knife and i think that's what these regulators are doing to bitcoin with ethereum they are saying well look this is ethereum let's let's uh, support them hey microsoft you know we want you to be with them our three we want you to talk with them and and do some good stuff with ethereum uh, we want you to build up this hype here you know slock it maybe we'll give you some support and we'll be hands off we just want you guys to succeed because we think you are better than bitcoin uh and we think we like blockchain blockchain is the best and you guys are more blockchain centric other than bitcoin centric or as opposed to bitcoin centric so we're going to support you well the government is just using Ethereum as a tool against Bitcoin, or at least that would fit a strategy that one might take. For sure, that would fit a strategy that one might take. It's it's a uh, like I said, I think it's Sun Tzu, but it's definitely on some of those uh, strategies from the old ancient Chinese stuff. You strike with a borrowed knife, I think, is the actual thing. Um, so they're using. Ethereum to strike at Bitcoin because Bitcoin is is very strong. It's anti-fragile. It's uh, censorship resist resistant, and um, so they're using Ethereum to hurt Bitcoin. That's a logical conclusion. I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening, but I can see that happening. I can see it being true. So, just take that for what it's worth. I don't know. That's so. That's my bit on the regula regulation concerns. If they, to sum up, if they were getting uh, some heat from the governments, I would like it better. Is the fact that they aren't getting any heat, uh, especially being so public uh, and being in all the newspapers and things, that's concerning to me. Because <laughs> this is direct competition to them. Uh, 
not only in money, but in governance. This is even a bigger strike than Bitcoin. That's all I have for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please comment below wherever you're listening to this. You can also comment on my website, bitcoinandmarkets.com, or throw it at me on Twitter, at Ansel Linder. Please tell me where I got it right and where I got it wrong. You know, I'm, I'm just learning, and I'm trying to evaluate these things on merit and not on FOMO and that kind of stuff. So please help me out and pass on your knowledge if you have it. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. My name is Ansel Linder, and this is Bitcoin and Markets.